Shalom Mishpocha. Time for a new Kadima Talk, Skill Sets for Effective Biblical Leadership. As we know, leadership is the art of motivating a group of people to act toward achieving a common goal. Leadership is unifying and motivating people to do and go to places they normally wouldn't but should be. Leadership is the art of getting someone else to do something you want done because they want to do it. Dwight D. Eisenhower said, leadership is the art of getting someone else to do something you want done because they want to do it. Corporate realms, transactional leadership has an expectation of a return for performance. Motivation vary. Goals, advancements, salaries. Transformational leadership, which is what we do, is motivating, inspiring, transforming individuals in morality, character, integrity, honor, and to inspire righteous living through obedience to God. Now, I want to go over a few of the core foundations that I think is critical to leadership, which should be touched upon every five or six months to be a reminder of what we're to be doing in the kingdom of God. And the first foundation is honor. Honor means you're accountable for your behavior and actions. To remember the privilege Adonai has placed upon you to serve him and to tend his flock. To honor, I'll abide by an uncompromising code of integrity, taking full responsibility for my actions and keeping my vows in word. I will conduct myself in the highest ethical manner in relationships with leadership, congregates, and the greater Kehila. I will be honest and truthful in my interactions with and outside the body of Messiah. I'll be bold, stand for, and support. Remember the three T's, time, ties, and talents, the kingdom of God, no matter my surroundings or circumstances. And I will live and walk in a biblical, ethical manner, both publicly and privately. Courage, which is the next foundation principle, is the value that gives me the moral and mental strength to do what is right with confidence and resolution, even in the face of temptation or adversity. Courage is a quality of mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficulty, danger, pain without fear. It's the foundation of bravery. It's the ability to overcome fear. It's the intestinal fortitude. For courage, I will have the courage to do and perform what God has both called and commanded me to do. I will make decisions and act in the best interest of the body of Messiah, the Kehela, without regard to personal desires, agendas, or consequences. I will overcome all challenges, fear, and adversity while adhering to the highest biblical standards of integrity, character, and loyalty. I'll be loyal to my leadership, congregation, and the body of Messiah by ensuring the gifts and talents entrusted to me are used in a biblical fashion and not squandered or abused. And the third foundational principle I want to cover before we move on is commitment. And this is probably some of the most critical areas in the greater body of Messiah in the Messianic realm. It's so hard to get people committed the day-to-day duty of every individual in the body of Messiah is to strive for echad, unity, for oneness and loyalty, to work together as the body of Messiah, to share the kingdom of God, improve the quality and quantity of congregates in their commitment of Adonai in Yeshua. I will foster loyalty, commitment, and respect through the greater Kehillah. I will share and walk in God's love to care for and feed the sheep and seek spiritual wholeness for the greater body of Messiah. I will walk in love with all of God's creation and people without regard to race, culture, or gender. I will strive for and exhibit the highest level of biblical, moral character, loyalty, integrity, purity, and holiness in all that I do. Unfortunately, many leaders and biblical leaders don't adhere to these foundational core traits. Many are not as godly as they appear to be. A significant issue with today's woke culture is that many secular and biblical leaders have compromised their core biblical beliefs to be viewed as more palatable to society and individuals, to fill the pews, to gain more customers. 
Many leaders think that to be highly effective in today's secular business world, they cannot be godly. Too many leaders believe success in being godly or mutually exclusive. Too many leaders are pushing unbiblical agendas. And recently, there's a poll that says there's a new warning to these woke CEOs of American corporations. Americans don't want corporations meddling in a divisive political issues, and they perceive such activism as phony, as pandering. There's also a huge gap between what consumers believe about woke activism compared with out-of-touch executives, according to a study conducted by the Brunswick Group, a management firm. Amazon yanks a documentary about Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. eBay scraps Dr. Seuss books. Disney fires actress Gina Carano. Do consumers agree with these moves? The answer is a resolute no. Brunswick found 63% of corporate executives agree unequivocally that companies should speak out on social issues. A mere 36% of voters agree among all political parties they don't want that. Corporate brass also has a highly inflated sense of how effective corporate communication has been on social issues compared to voters. An overwhelming 74% of business executives think corporate activism is effective compared with just 39% of the voters. Companies spend billions of dollars building brand equity through marketing campaigns, but it's, it's received as insincere by the people they're trying to reach. So the gist of this is nobody on either political party, left or right, want to hear what corporations have to say, just sell your products and stay out of politics. Now, let's get back to effective leadership. The biblical book of Daniel gives us the answer of how to be an effective, successful national leader in both the kingdom of Adonai and in Babylon or Persia, or in our case, America, while living as an upright, holy, godly man. Over time, Daniel rose to prominence as a national leader, serving four kings over time. And how could Daniel be a secular leader yet remain true to his faith? How did he do it? The answer lies in seven specific must-have skill sets Daniel demonstrated that together made Daniel a successful, effective leader while being a godly man. Number one, and this is the most critical, leaders must not compromise. To compromise is to do something intermediate between or blending qualities of two different things, such as the world and the kingdom of Adonai, to make a shameful or disreputable concession. In Daniel chapter 1, to Daniel and his associates, the king assigned them a daily portion of his own food and the wine he drank, and they were to be cared for in this way for three years. And at the end of this time, they were to become the king's attendants. But Daniel refused. In Daniel 1 verse 8, but Daniel resolved... He resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine he drank. So he asked the chief officer to be excused from defiling himself. Daniel refused to defile himself by eating unbiblically and asked for a simple kosher vegetable diet instead. The chief officer said to Daniel, listen, I'm afraid of my lord, the king. After all, he's given you an allowance of food and drink. So if he were to see you boys looking worse than the others your age, you'd be putting my own head in danger from the king. But Daniel replies, please try to experiment on your servants. For 10 days, have them give us only vegetables to eat and whatever to drink. Then see how we look and compare us with how the boys who eat the king's food look and deal with your servants according to what you see. He agreed to do what they asked and gave them a 10-day test. This is where we get 10-day Daniel fast from. At the end of 10 days, they looked better and more robust than all the boys who were eating the king's food. So the guard took away their food and the wine they were supposed to drink and gave them vegetables. To these four young men, God had given knowledge and skill in every aspect of learning and wisdom. Moreover, Daniel could understand all kinds of visions and dreams. Daniel and his associates set an example for the Israelite exiles by honoring God in their diet. 
As a result, God gave Daniel and his friends physical health, superior intellect, and wisdom. Daniel refused to compromise. And compromise comes at many levels. I can tell you as a congregation leader, there are many, many attacks in this area of people trying to get you to step back from your foundational principles in your godly walk. You cannot compromise regarding the word of God in any area of your life. Number two, godly leaders must depend upon and trust Adonai. In chapter two of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream where he demanded his magicians and astrologers interpret without hearing the dream, which no one could do. In a rage, Nebuchadnezzar ordered all of the sages, all the exorcists, all the magicians put to death. Then Daniel stepped forward in Daniel 2, starting at verse 16. Then Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time to tell the king the interpretation. Daniel went home and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, so that he could ask the God of heaven for mercy concerning the secret and thus save Daniel and his companions from dying along with the other sages of Babel. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision at night, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So what's amazing here is, is first of all, you know, they're all given different names by Babylon. But Daniel refers to his associates, his companions, in their Hebrew names, maintaining their identity. Second of all, he shares with them, and they all pray and intercede in this behalf. And when they do, Adonai provided the interpretation. Down in verse 26, it says, The king said to Daniel, who had renamed him Belshazzar, Can you tell me what I dreamt and what it means? Daniel answered the king, No sage, exorcist, magician, or astrologer can tell his majesty the secret he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who unlocks mysteries, and he has revealed to King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the Akhret Hayamim in the future, in the time to come. Here are your dream and the visions you had in your head when you were in bed. Daniel trusted Adonai and depended upon him for the interpretation. Daniel then gave all the glory and credit for that interpretation to Adonai. Daniel took no credit for himself. Number three, leaders must trust and obey God and his word, even in dire, life-threatening circumstances. In Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar constructed a gold statue. In Daniel 3, starting at verse 4, And a herald proclaimed, Peoples, nations, languages, you are ordered that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the harp, the zither, the lute, the bagpipe, and the rest of the musical instruments, you fall down and worship the gold statue that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship is to be thrown immediately into a blazing hot furnace. Daniel and his companions refused to bow and worship the statue. So it was brought to the attention of Nebuchadnezzar, who addressed them. In Daniel chapter 3, starting at verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you neither serve my gods nor worship the gold statue I set up? All right then, verse 15, if you're prepared, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the harp, the zither, the lute, the bagpipe, and the rest of the musical instruments, to fall down and worship the gold statue very well. But if you won't worship, you will immediately be thrown into a blazing hot furnace, and what God will save you from my power then? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king. Your question doesn't require an answer from us. Your majesty, if our God, whom we serve, is able to save us, he will save us from the blazing hot furnace and from your power. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will neither serve your gods nor worship the gold statue which you have set up. Stunningly, their knowledge, faith, and trust in both Adonai and his word is so strong 
that they boldly tell the king, your question doesn't require an answer from us. If our God, whom we serve, is able to save us, he will. But if he doesn't, we're still not bowing down to your false god, your idol. They knew well, Exodus 20, verses 3 through 5, where Adonai commanded us to have no other gods, to make not make a carved image or any other type of idol, and not to bow down and to worship them or serve them. Facing certain death, they completely trusted and obeyed Adonai. And because of their trust and obedience, Adonai saved them from the fiery furnace. Starting in verse 27 of Daniel 3, the viceroys, prefects, governors, and royal advisors who were there saw that the fire had no power on the bodies of these men. Not even their hair was singed, their clothes looked the same, and they didn't smell of fire. This fire was so hot in the previous verses, it says that those who threw them into the fire died from the heat. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to deliver his servants who trusted in him. They defied the royal order to the point of being willing to give up their bodies in order not to serve or worship any god but their own. Verse 29, Therefore I herewith decree that anyone, no matter from which people, nation, or language, who says anything to insult the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to be torn limb from limb, and his house to be reduced to rubble, because there is no other god who can save like this. Their trust and obedience was such a powerful testimony that it resulted in King Nebuchadnezzar giving Adonai glory for saving them and commanding anyone who insults Adonai to be torn limb from limb. The king then gave them higher ranks in the province of Babel, more responsibility and more authority. Number four, and this is critical, leaders must be bold and speak truth to power. In the next chapter, Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar once again has a dream that his magicians and sages can't interpret, even though he told them the dream. Nebuchadnezzar had Daniel come to him to interpret it because the Spirit of God is in Daniel. In Daniel 4, starting at verse 22, It's you, your majesty. You have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your rule extends to the end of the earth. Now the king saw a holy watcher coming down from heaven who said, Cut down the tree and destroy it. But leave the stump with his roots in the ground, with a band of iron and bronze in the lush grass of the countryside. Let him be drenched with dew from the sky and share the lot of the wild animals until seven seasons pass over him. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and is a decree of the Most High that has come upon my lord the king. You'll be driven from human society to live with the wild animals. You'll be made to eat grass like an ox and be drenched with dew from the sky as seven seasons pass over you until you learn that the Most High rules in the human kingdom and gives it to whomever he pleases. But since it was ordered to leave the stump of the tree with its roots, your kingdom will be kept for you until you have learned that heaven rules everything. Therefore, your majesty, please take my advice. Break with your sins by replacing them with acts of charity and break with your crimes by showing mercy to the poor. This may extend the time of your prosperity. Like Yosef, in Egypt with Pharaoh. Daniel boldly and bravely interprets a dream, then gives the king unsolicited advice. Daniel didn't sugarcoat anything. He held nothing back. Nebuchadnezzar would be humbled until he acknowledged Adonai and that he rules everything. I understand, you know, this isn't like speaking to one of our elected officials. Kings had absolute authority. Both Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar could have received this word and had him executed or beheaded. And Daniel knew that. But he didn't back down. He wasn't timid. He wasn't sheepish. And he spoke truth to the power. Daniel told him to repent and perform acts of charity. Another situation arises like this one in Daniel chapter 5. Nebuchadnezzar had passed away and his son Belshazzar is now king. He hosts a party worshiping their own Babylonian gods. And while tasting the wine, 
Belshazzar ordered that the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had removed from the temple in Jerusalem be brought so that the king, his lords, his wives, and his concubines could drink from them. So they brought the gold vessels which had been removed from the sanctuary of the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king, his lords, his wives, and his concubines, he drank from them. Belshazzar profaned holy implements from the temple used to worship Adonai. He sinned directly against Adonai by desecrating the holy vessels of the temple of God. And when they did so, suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and began writing on the plaster of the palace wall by the lampstand. When the king saw the palm of the hand that was writing, the king's face took on a different look as frightening thoughts rose up within him. His hip joints gave away and his knees started knocking together. And once again, all of their own magicians, exorcists, astrologists, and sages couldn't interpret the writing. So once again, Daniel was brought before the king. And in Daniel 5, starting in verse 23, But Belshazzar, you, his son, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all of this. This is speaking of Nebuchadnezzar and how he was humbled before the Lord. Verse 23, Instead, you've exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven by having them bring you the vessels from his house. And you and your lords, your wives, your concubines drank wine from them. Then you offered praises to your gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which can't see, hear, or know anything. Meanwhile, God, who holds your very breath in his hands, to whom everything belongs, you do, you have not glorified. Explaining how Adonai had humbled his father, he told Belshazzar that he wasn't humble before Adonai, even though he knew what had happened to his father. Daniel boldly tells the king of his arrogance in exalting himself while not glorifying Adonai who held the king's breath in his very hand. Daniel spoke truth to power. Daniel read the writing that said Adonai had taken the kingdom from Belshazzar and had given it to the Medes. Belshazzar promoted Daniel to the third highest rank in all the kingdom after he spoke truth to the king, who, by the way, died that very evening. Daniel was never timid or sheepish. Number five, leaders must remember God is sovereign. In Daniel chapter six, we have a revelation of Daniel's character, honor, and integrity. In verse 3 of Daniel 6, just because an extraordinary spirit was in this Daniel, he so distinguished himself above all the other chiefs and the viceroys that the king considered putting him in charge of the whole kingdom. Verse 4, the other chiefs and the viceroys tried to find a cause for complaint against Daniel in regard to how he performed his governing duties, but they could find nothing to complain about, no fault. On the contrary, because he was so faithful, not a single instant of negligence or faulty administration could be found. See, this made his enemies jealous, so they conspired to remove him from power by accusing him of disloyalty to now King Darius of Persia. They advised King Darius to issue and sign a decree that everyone should pray only to him for 30 days or be thrown into the lion's pit. And again, Daniel, a profound man of God, he refused. He prayed towards Jerusalem as he did three times a day, whereupon his enemies waiting for him to pray descended upon him and took him before the king, who was very upset over the incident because he liked and respected Daniel. However, there was no way out, and Daniel was thrown into the lion's pit as a form of punishment. Every incident we have shared are great trials and tribulations for Daniel, yet he never compromised. He never relented. He never gave up. He never gave in. He knew that he serves a sovereign God who was more than able, and the king again was very upset. In Daniel 6, starting at verse 18, the king returned to his palace, and he spent the night fasting and refusing to be entertained as sleep eluded him. Early in the morning, the king got up and hurried to the lion pit. On approaching the pit where Daniel was, the king cried in a pained voice to Daniel, 
Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you are always serving, been able to save you from the lions? Then Daniel answered the king, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel to shut the lions' mouths, so they haven't hurt me. This is because before him I was found innocent, and also I've done no harm to you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered Daniel taken up from the pit. So Daniel was taken up from the pit. He was found to be completely unharmed because he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave an order, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they threw them into the lion pit, them, their children, their wives, and before they even reached the bottom of the pit, the lions had them in their control and broke all of their bones to pieces. King Darius wrote all the people's nations and language living anywhere on earth, and it says, Shalom, Rav, abundant peace. I herewith issue a decree that everywhere in my kingdom, the people are to tremble and be in awe of the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rulership will last till the end. He saves, rescues, does signs and wonders both in heaven and on earth. And he delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. The Lord's hand upon Daniel had such a profound effect that King Darius issues a decree proclaiming that God is God and that everyone should worship him. This is nothing short of supernatural. Number six, leaders must be empathetic. A good leader must have empathy, which is showing the ability to understand and share the feelings of another, to identify with the emotions, thoughts, and attitudes of others. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 2, Daniel says, I, Daniel, was reading the scriptures and thinking about the number of years which Adonai had told Jeremiah the prophet would be the period of Jerusalem's desolation, 70 years. Daniel had a deep, profound understanding of the time period they were in. Daniel was aware of Israel's idolatry, sin, and lack of faith while expressing trust, confidence, and Adonai's word and faithfulness. Daniel intercedes with Adonai for the entire nation of Israel. He knows the 70 years are up. And Daniel humbly repents for the nation's sin while fasting and praying. On behalf of the nation of Israel as its leader in exile, he asked Adonai to forgive their sins and restore Israel and Jerusalem in one of the most powerful prayers recorded in Scripture. Starting in verse 10 of Daniel 9, he said, We didn't listen to the voice of Adonai our God so that we could live by his laws, which he presented to us through his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel flattered your Torah and turned away, unwilling to listen to your voice. Therefore, the curse and oath written in the Torah of Moshe, the servant of God, was poured out on us because we sinned against him. He carried out the threats he spoke against us and against our judges who judge us by bringing upon us disasters so great that under all of heaven nothing has been done like what has been done to Yerushalayim. As written in the Torah of Moshe, this whole disaster came upon us. Yet we did not appease Adonai by our, our God by renouncing our wrongdoing and discerning your truth. So Adonai watched for the right moment to bring this disaster upon us. For Adonai, our God, was just in everything he did. Yet we didn't listen when he spoke. Verse 15, Now Adonai, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a strong hand, thereby winning renown for yourself, as is the case today, we sinned, we acted wickedly. And Adonai, in keeping with all your justice, please allow your anger and fury to be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because it is due to our sins and the wrongdoings of our ancestors that Jerusalem and your people have become objects of scorn among everyone around us. Therefore, our God, listen to the prayer and pleadings of your servant and cause your face to shine on your desolate sanctuary for your own sake. My God, turn your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see how desolated we are, as well as the city which bears your name. For we plead with you not because of our own righteousness, but because of your compassion. Adonai hear, Adonai forgive, Adonai pay attention and don't delay action. 
for your own sake, my God, because your city and your people bear your name. Verse 20 says, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my own sin and the sin of my people Israel, and pleading before Adonai, my God, for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in a vision at the beginning, swooped down on me in full flight at about the time of the evening sacrifice and explained things to me. And he said, I've come now, Daniel, to enable you to understand this vision clearly. At the beginning of your prayers, an answer was given. And I've come to say that what it is because you are greatly loved. Therefore, look into this answer and understand the vision. See, Daniel's empathy for his people and nation, coupled with his humble prayer, fasting, and intercession, results in a return to the land and the eventual restoration of both the temple and the city of Jerusalem. And then he's given a profound prophecy of the coming Messiah. Empathy brought results. And lastly, number seven, leaders must have a biblical worldview. In Daniel chapters 10 through 12, he has shown the end of days. Kings of the north and the south, an eternal battle of good versus evil being played out on the world stage. Daniel received supernatural revelations of the times of Jacob's troubles. Yet is assured that the people of Israel, those who are found written in the book of life, will be delivered. Adonai will vindicate his people and reward them with eternal life while their enemies will receive eternal punishment. In Daniel 12, verses 1 through 3, it says, When that time comes, Michael, the great prince who champions your people, will stand up, and there'll be a time of distress unparalleled between the time they became a nation and that moment. In that time, your people will be delivered, everyone whose name is found written in the book. See, this is a Messianic prophecy. Your name stays in the book for those who have received Messiah Yeshua. Very profound. Verse 2, many of those sleeping in the dust of the earth will awaken, some to everlasting life, and some to everlasting shame and abhorrence. Verse 3, but those who can discern will shine like the brightness of heaven's dome, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. See, this is what it's all about. We might have that biblical worldview to understand the times that we're living in and what to do about it. We're in these end days, and it's time to stand tall and be bold and share the good news and the gospel, because soon the king is coming. He will return and establish his reign and kingdom upon this earth. Meanwhile, may you have the skill sets necessary to be successful and effective in all that you do to prepare for Yeshua's return. Mishpacha, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom. Shalom.